they have endless time-consuming rituals, the, uh, celebrating mediocrity. You need to have numerous barbecues. You need to have all these holidays. You need to take a day off work to do nothing when you could have been doing something. They, they invent all these days off and time off and gotta go get drunk on the weekend. Gotta, you gotta get the drunk ritual, the sports ritual, all the holidays rituals. There's never ending rituals that keep you trapped. That word you said, trapped. There's never ending rituals to the middle class folks that keep you trapped. And then if you try to break free from that ritual, they say, who do you think you're better than us? Why, why, why can't you just be normal and do what me and Bobby do, man? Can you, you know, drink a beer with me and Bobby? We're going fishing, going on the fishing trip. Come with Bobby and me on fishing trip. Say, no, I'm going to a self-help conference. Self-help? <laughs> Bobby and me are going fishing. We're going fishing, man. Beer, sports, sports, beer, holiday. It's, it's a, what you said is 100% on point. There's never ending rituals to stay trapped in that cycle of mediocrity. You gotta go to everybody's birthday. You gotta go to everybody's wedding party. You gotta go to the fucking, uh, all the bullshit. They got all these fucking rituals you gotta do. And, and if you don't do the ritual, and your social status and your middle class social status is attached to all the, those numerous time consuming rituals to, to affirm your spot of, uh, perfectly average. That sort of thinking helped me a lot that, uh, you know, I had a few of those near-death experiences early in life, and, you know, and real ones. And then, you know, also understanding, you know, some of the, the wisdom of that Stoic philosophy we talked about a bit ago that, uh, just, just becoming, you know, Marcus Aurelius would say like, uh, you know, your, your life is like a you know, a journey across the sea that you, you get in the boat and you go across and when you get to the other side, you get out. And it's not something dramatic or, you know, super elegant, it's just, it's a, just a stark reality of, uh, you know, how, how do you make the best of that voyage? I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, I'd go back to what we talked about with, you know, uh, Joel earlier is, uh, you know, how old are you right now, 30? Yeah. So, like, how much of that time you want to waste? If you got three hundred thousand hours, three hundred and fifty, if you're lucky, thousand hours that you're awake. It's it's the ultimate universal condition. Is you know everybody dies. It's it's the thing that that makes you you know you wouldn't even have empathy for other humans if if you were the only immortal. You'd have a lot less empathy for the others. You'd be like, well, I don't give a fuck about whatever's going on. <laughs> Your bitch ass is going to be dead soon anyway, and I'm immortal. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of the thing that brings communities together in some ways of social groups or you know, other, other communities of you know, identity, identity around a tribe, around your social group, around a sports team, etc. is that you, you want to have these big victories because you know your time is limited and you won't be able to do it at some point. So it's uh, it's it's not so sp it's not so different. It's not so different. The time horizon might be a bit different, and as you said, you can already plan for that. Your, your financial life's getting a lot better, eh? Yeah. I, uh, you want to share a couple of victories with the guys here? Yeah. So um, I I did have um, a really good year with um, stocks and, and options. I uh, I did run on the Nordstrom's train, um, and I doubled, I, bought, I think I bought in at 15 a share, 
I, I made like not a whole lot of money, like eight eight grand or so on, on Nordstrom's, and um, I've had. I think I bought in some of the Maceridge around like seven dollars a share and made a pretty good chunk. Um, I, I I made a ton of money when it went up to twenty two a share, and then I felt stupid for not selling some of the options that I had on Maceridge at the time because I I got over-optimistic and um, it was the right cost things. that was the right cost-benefit analysis I thought about this on the way to the airport today because every asshole wants to poke at me and ask me about malls right now and uh, when the when when the stock you know if, if you if you don't understand the if you understand what a short squeeze really is or the the structure of how that happens it's not a silly thought that that stock could be a hundred dollars not twenty five ninety nine and if you if you understand the mechanisms in play it's not a crazy thought that that stock would be five hundred dollars not twenty five ninety nine and uh I have four hundred thousand shares of that company it's five and a half million dollars and um just in that one stock and and I own several other stocks and you know it's but it's a it's a chunk of money, and I didn't sell it either. And now, would I would I like to be able to sell it right now? Would I like to have those four hundred thousand shares be worth twelve twelve dollars extra? Well, yeah, that's a lot of money. It's another what is that? Four point something million, five million. Um, but I also think the stock's going to be worth a lot more than that later. So I had you know several friends that I had in-depth conversations with about it. If, if, you made, if you made those decisions to sell under that circumstance, you might have you done right on that trade, where you could have sold it there and bought, bought back twice as much, but you can't predict what the fucking market's gonna do. And whatever you feel about that, how would you feel if it went to 500 and you sold it at 22? That's, that's the tough part. And it's not a crazy idea that, you know, the other people here that, that understand the math of that are, the, the, the nuanced structure of what a short squeeze really is, is like you, you made the right decision to not sell it at 20-some dollars. You might not feel that way at the moment, but um, if, you had to, if you had to play out that scenario a thousand times over and over and over, if you had a thousand scenarios, let me say it differently, if you had a thousand scenarios with you know, equal probability, but you know, random outcomes, you made the right decision with a large sample size. So you, you be at peace with that. Also, just hold on to it, and I think it's gonna be worth a lot more in the future anyway. But I see you nodding, thinking about this. You have, you have a, a comment you'd make about that, uh, the short squeeze situation, or? The, the comment I would add is, um, if you hold it for long enough, it's a long-term capital gains. And if you cash out, you're gonna pay taxes on it at a lot higher level. You're gonna keep less. So by being patient, in the long run, you make more. The tax implications are significant. It's, it's, not, it's not a small thing. I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're making any kind of money, you know, if you're making any kind of money, if you're making 100 grand a year, um, the tax implications are, you know, you're gonna pay 37% instead of 20%. So it's, it, there's a lot of reasons that you made the right decision about that. If you had to do it a thousand times in your life, you'll be happy. Large sample size, you'll be happy with the outcomes. Yeah, and I've had other little um, 
call options that I've bought that just, I've had a, a series of ones that I've actually got, I guess I've gotten lucky on because I've predicted a few of them, just had a feeling that like, you know, people were going to start getting more of these types of things. Um, so, but I'm, I'm I, I like your philosophy on like you don't really know all the factors in the economy because I've had a couple situations where like everything went right and I still didn't get the profit because you know some stupid policy got passed and people shitted a brick over it you know and like I, there's no way to predict that really so I'm more leaning toward you know buying and holding than call options now but I still like to play a little bit with the call options, so and I, you know, I wouldn't learn any of that without the, uh, the market's mastery course. So I've, that was probably my favorite course of all time. I'm very proud of it. I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time on both of those. Many of you are going to be in the real estate course as well, and the modules are. You'll see. They're more than twice as long. They're more than twice as long, and. I spent nine fucking hours on Sunday recording one module. And you know, after I laid out, is 1,188 slides. 1,188 slides in a PowerPoint deck. And then, you know, boom, 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 working through that. So, you know, the final recording is going to be close to two hours or something when it's edited. But I spent nine fucking hours just, re you know, not constructing it, just after you spent, you know, countless, endless time constructing it. You know, and that, that's just about financing. That's just about real estate financing specifically. So that one module is, uh, you'll see. But um, I'm not making another one of those courses, so I just wanted to make this one as good as I could. But I, I'm very proud of the other two as well. I'm very proud of the other two. And I, they're, they're life-changing for the people that do that. I feel like when I talk to you, it's like a, you know, it's like a man. Like in a, it's a... It's a growing up man now that's making real decisions and it's a, you know, an adult. And I feel like when we first met that there's, you want, a, you want a, an affirmation or a confirmation and you're reluctant to make a decision by yourself. And you, know, you touched on this earlier, but I really think you changed quite dramatically in that way you know, in, the, in the period of time that we've known each other. And uh, I, I'm sure you're already seeing you know, many differences in your, in your own confidence or the way that other people treat you. I'm sure you're seeing that already, but I know that you're going to see it a lot more over time that as you get more and more comfortable taking on bigger tasks and conquering bigger tax, tasks, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable um, having more and more control and taking on bigger and bigger projects in your life, and you'll be successful at them. So you have the raw material, you have the right thoughts, you have the, you have the right uh, personality to go do those things, you know? So the, those few changes that you made are, I think they're very, very big for your life. Yeah. You earned it. You gotta, you gotta be more unapologetic than ever. In, in, in a way that's fucking rude. In a way that's fucking rude. And the the M and M thing. And I, I thought about this a long time ago. And like, you know, did I want to, did I want to live a life like some corporate executive where you got to filter your speech and you, you can't say this and you can't do that. And those people are the biggest freaks, by the way. So you know, the corporate people that are stuck and they they got a administrative type roles or political type roles. Those are the people that do like freakish things in their private. Some guy like me, you know, you know, you, you, or you look at somebody like an Eminem, or you look at rap culture, and like, you know, if 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 a rapper, you know, pick your favorite rapper. If a rapper is like, nah, fuck you, 
but that's like a, that's a that's a legitimate answer from that culture, you know. It's a legitimate answer. You know, there, there's a thing where T.I., which I'm disappointed in because I really liked a lot of T.I.'s music, but T.I. wrote like this four-page thing. There's an interview with Lil Wayne a few years back, uh, five, six, five or so years ago, asking Lil Wayne about this uh, uh, BLM thing. And Wayne said, I'm mad at no white people. So you know, white people gave me $100 million. <laughs> I ain't got no problem with no white people. And then... Uh, T.I. writes like a four-page eloquent letter you know, about how our kids play together and I know you forever, Wayne, but this ain't right. You, you, can't, you can't say anything good about white people. You can't do this, Wayne. And uh, Lil Wayne's response to this four-page letter is uh, you know, F-U-K hyphen Y-A. Fuck you. <laughs> that was his public response about this, you know, shaming him for for not being mad at people that gave him a hundred million fucking dollars. People that supported him, cheer for him at his concerts, etc. Say, fuck you. And I'd, I'd rather live a life like that, that if you do anything interesting at all, you're gonna have some haters. If you do anything interesting at all, you're gonna have critics and haters. Your haters are your biggest fans. Critics are your biggest fan. A critic is a critic because they couldn't do anything. They didn't do anything themselves. They want to criticize somebody else and feel like they're involved in the conversation in some way. But they're totally incompetent to do anything in real life. People that hate on you are your biggest fans. You don't even have a brand. You've heard me say this before. If no one hates you, if people aren't talking bad about you, you don't even have a brand. Nobody even knows who you are then. First, you'll be ignored. Any business cycle, you want to go build a business? You're going to be ignored. You know what's worse than being hated? Ignored. You're going to be ignored, and then you're going to be made fun of. And then when your success is so obvious, is so painfully obvious to everyone that it's undeniable, then you, then you advance on to the hater stage. Then you get real haters. First you'll be ignored, then you'll be mocked and made fun of, and then, you, you know, then when your success is so much that it hurts people's feelings because they, they're envious of what you've done, and they, they, they know they know somewhere in their head there's this potentiality that they could do it, but they're just not tough enough. They could see a vision that they could almost, they'd like it, they want it more than anything, but they're not smart enough. They're not tough enough. And those are, that's going to be your haters. That's who the haters are. That's what, you don't have a brand if you don't have that. So people are going to criticize. If you have any bit of success, people are going to criticize you. Pick any of your favorite brands in life, McDonald's, Tesla, Apple, any of your favorite brands, for sure there's a hater page. Fuck Apple. Fuck Apple. Fuck McDonald's. McDonald's isn't healthy. Did anybody fucking go to McDonald's because they thought it was healthy? <laughs> no, goddammit, you just wanted to go to McDonald's that day. So fuck people who don't like McDonald's.